I would like to say to you that uh, we will be having a one-family prayer meeting uh, this evening at 6 o'clock right here in the lobby, and we would encourage you to come. If you haven't come to one of these before, take the opportunity to come and meet with God's people and pray. We have a lot that we need to pray about here at Northwest Hills, and we need you to be praying with us. So come and be a part of that, and uh, we'll enjoy some prayer time together for an hour beginning at 6 o'clock this evening. We need to talk about mercy today a little bit. And uh, it's an important subject in the mind of the Lord Jesus. It's one of what we call the Beatitudes. And so we'll get to that in just a moment. Let's bow together and pray. Lord Jesus, you said... Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. And today, Father, we would ask you to give us some kind of understanding about what all of that means in our lives on a daily basis. God, we want mercy, but we also want to be merciful. So teach us this morning. Grow us. A little bit as we spend these moments together and we'll thank you father for it in Jesus name amen one of the things I have to do this morning is one of the things that I will be doing kind of all the way through this series and that is to remind you that Jesus is confronting external religion now that becomes very important in this whole process of the Sermon on the Mount. And you will see it over and over again that emphasis is on the internal rather than the external. I believe that one of the greatest sins that the modern church has committed is to somehow make religion something that you do. Um, And the result of that is, is that people who think they are saved really are not saved because they think they are doing the right things. And Jesus is confronting that. I want you to understand that internal righteousness produces right action internal righteousness that Jesus is talking about in the Sermon on the Mount is that which produces the fruit of right actions. See, uh, a Christian is something before he does something. And that's why I, I said a week ago, one of the most important things we have to know in life is who am I? And we have to know that because what I do is based on who I am. I want to read you a little quote from C.S. Lewis. Uh, listen, he, he, he gets, uh, for C.S. Lewis, he gets a little humorous here. Uh, he says, surely what a man does when he is taken off his guard 
is the best evidence of what sort of man he is. He says, if there are rats in the cellar, you are most likely to see them if you go in very suddenly. But the suddenness does not create the rats. It only prevents them from hiding. In the same way, the suddenness of provocation does not make me ill-tempered. It only shows me what an ill-tempered man I really am. And I thought that spells out beautifully what Jesus is trying to say to us in the Sermon on the Mount. See, I want you to understand how important character is. D.L. Moody said, character is what you are in the dark. I heard someone say, uh, character is defined by what you would be willing to do if you knew nobody would ever find out. And what I need you to do is I need you to think more about your character than your reputation. See, because character is who you really are. Reputation is only who other people think you are. And that's easy to produce. That's easy for us to communicate to people. So a Christian is something before he does something. And Jesus communicated that to the Pharisees. He really was upset with the Pharisees in Matthew 23, verse 27, when he said this, you are like whitewashed tombs. On the outside, you look beautiful, but on the inside, you're full of dead man's bones. John the Baptist said a similar thing in chapter 3 of Matthew when he called them a brood of vipers because they were technically while they called themselves religious, while they did everything the right way, they were feeding on the people all the time. So the point that I need to make for you before we even think about going further in the Sermon on the Mount is that we have to understand that what Jesus wants us to see is that we need to be a certain kind of person on the inside before we can produce anything acceptable on the outside. See, I need you to understand this. We are not meant to control our Christianity. Our Christianity is meant to control us. You understand that? You understand that somehow or another, we can get into a church where they do everything very nice and it's all flowery and it's all ritual and it's all liturgical and the result is everything is done in the right order at the right time and they control their Christianity. But we were not meant to control our Christianity. Our Christianity was meant to control us. So let's talk a little bit about the Beatitudes in action. Because this is what Jesus ultimately brings out in this whole process of the Sermon on the Mount. 
I told you that many times in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says something like, you have heard it said in the law, you should blah, 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 but I say unto you, and then he takes it to the heart, and he says, blah, blah, blah. So the result is, he is saying that you can commit adultery without actually doing the act. Because you've done it in the heart. And that's what he's talking about. So this beatitude in action is that the first four are beatitudes and the next four are what we might call do-attitudes. And the things that we are able to do are based upon whether the first four are a reality in our hearts and our lives. So if I am a person whose soul is crying out to God, who mourns over my sin, who is meek and gentle in my personality, and who hungers and thirsts for righteousness, then I may become meek. I'm sorry, I may become merciful. Because he says, Blessed are the merciful. So now for the first time, he tells me, here's something that I can do. I can become merciful. So let's talk about mercy for just a little bit. What does it mean to be merciful? I read about a woman who decided that she was going to go have her picture taken. She was pretty apprehensive about it because she wanted it to really look good for her kids. She was going to give this photograph to her children. And when she, the, the photographer got her set just right and, and in the right position, she said to the photographer, now do me justice. And the photographer said, pardon me for saying, lady, but it's not justice you need, it's mercy. <laughs> mercy is a beautiful concept. Mercy can look at a failure and see a future. Mercy is one of those things that we tend to love. Um, In fact, we tend to want justice for everybody else, but mercy for ourselves. And uh, Jesus is saying, uh, blessed are the merciful. And I want to tell you, first of all, what mercy is not. And that will help us understand a little bit about how we should practice being merciful. First of all, if you look at mercy from a humanistic point of view, you come up with one particular view. So applying the, the, this uh, beatitude in a humanistic way means if I am good to everybody, everybody will be good to me. Now, a lot of us could chuckle at that because we know that's not necessarily true. Even if we are good to everybody, sooner or later we're going to run into somebody who's not going to be very nice to us. And when this was written, you have to understand, it was written in the context of Roman rule. And the Romans were ruthless. The Romans uh, 
uh, were merciless. They were a proud, egotistical people with a lot of self-righteousness. What mattered to the Romans was justice, courage, discipline, and power. And more and more, we are living in a day where people want power more than they want anything else. And so the Romans were very uh, troublesome in this whole area of mercy. There was no mercy that ever came out of the Romans. I could show it to you in more detail, but let's just take a brief statement about three areas, Romans and children. See, if you think we are in a situation, I, I think we, that, that second beatitude, blessed are those who mourn, who weep over sin. I think that if we are to weep as Christians, we ought to be weeping over the 60 million abortions that have taken place in America since Roe v. Wade. And uh, these are babies who were killed before they ever had a chance to be born. And um, uh, my scriptures tell me God knew them in the womb. And... uh, uh, But for the Romans, if you think abortion was bad in our day, think of what it was then. The daddy could stand in the doorway. And when the baby was born, if he wanted it, he'd put thumbs up. If he didn't want it, he'd put thumbs down and they'd slit the throat. Same thing with slaves, Romans and the slaves. See, if a If a Roman didn't like the way his slave performed, he could kill him, take him up on the hill, and bury him, and nobody would ever ask any questions. I might say, ladies, it was the same thing with wives. If you burn the toast some morning, he could slit your throat, bury you, and nobody would ever even ask, say, where's your wife today? They were ruthless. So for Jesus to come along and say, blessed are the merciful in this context and in this culture, he was sticking his own neck out. So what is mercy then? If it isn't, well, if I'm good to everybody, everybody will be good to me. So what is it? Well, let me say, first of all, this is the translation of the Greek word Eliamon, Eliamon. Um, it's used as a, a, a word describing somebody. Somebody is merciful. It's, it's only used twice in the entire New Testament. The other time that it's used is in Hebrews chapter 2, verse 17. Let me, let me read that for you. You don't have it. Let me read it. Speaking of Jesus, it says, he had to be made like his brethren in all things that he might become a merciful, there's our word, Eliamon, that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest. You understand that? Jesus sits at the right hand of the Father making intercession for you and for me and he is merciful. Uh, 
in things pertaining to God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. So in his mercy, he was merciful and was willing to go to the cross in order that he could show that mercy by bringing you and me into the kingdom. So if you apply the beatitude in a biblical way, it would read like this. You be merciful to others and God will be merciful to you. See, you and I cannot depend on what other people are going to do. Be merciful to everybody else and everybody else will be merciful to you. That isn't the way it works. But you be merciful to everybody else and God will be merciful to you. That's what Jesus means when he says, blessed are the merciful for they shall receive mercy because they get it from God. And Jesus is the greatest illustration in all the universe of mercy that we have. So if you want to define mercy in the everyday life, it looks like this. It looks like seeing a man without food and giving him food. It looks like seeing a man without love and giving him love. It looks like seeing someone who is lonely and becoming their friend, giving them friendship. Mercy means that we function in a way that is merciful. Now, we'll talk a little more about it, but before we get there, let me explain mercy and grace. Mercy and grace, I think, are very important, and I'm sure you have heard this, but it's important for us to understand it. First of all, mercy is when God does not give me what I deserve. Mercy is when God does not give me what I deserve. When a man goes into the court and he pleads for mercy, he is saying, give me a sentence that is less than what I deserve. In other words, mercy offers relief from the punishment. And I deserved punishment in everlasting hell because all have sinned, including me, and have fallen short of the glory of God. And when God gave me mercy, he took away my punishment. Good grief. Is that incredible or what? Grace, on the other hand, is when God does not give me what I do deserve. When God does not give to me, uh, I'm sorry, grace is when God does give me what I don't deserve. Somehow I mix those up. They're easy to mix up. Uh, And I'm old. Uh, In other words, it offers pardon from the crime. We... We, 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 we get relief from the punishment. We get pardoned from the crime. And as a result, grace and mercy are related, but not the same. They are very important. Here's, here's an important concept about grace and mercy. I want you to understand this. God is a God of mercy. God is a God of grace. But the only reason God exercises those is because a price has been paid. 
Do you hear this? It's because a price has been paid. The price for my sin has been paid. If Jesus had not been crucified, I would have to be crucified. If Jesus had not been crucified for you, you would have to be crucified. The price has been paid. Therefore, God can say, I can give you grace and I can give you mercy because the debt is paid. Mercy reaches out. The merciful are those who reach out to other people, not those who grasp and take. We have numerous illustrations of that in Scripture. One of them is Abraham. And even though he was so wronged by his nephew Lot, Abraham went and got Lot released, got, got Lot freedom. Uh, another one would be Joseph. Remember, Joseph, uh, Joseph was treated horribly by his brothers. Uh, but uh, the fact is, uh, when they came, he met their needs and he took them in with open arms. That's mercy. Another one would be David in, in 1 Samuel 24. And again in verse Samuel 26, he didn't kill Saul when he had perfect opportunity to do so. He had, he had mercy on Saul. And yet another one uh, would be uh, Moses. Remember when Miriam rebelled against Moses and because of her rebellion, God punished her by striking her with, with, uh, with leprosy. And Moses fell on his knees and pleaded and pleaded for her healing because he was merciful. Mercy reaches out. This merciful person is the kind of person who is living the character of the kingdom. You want to know what the character of the kingdom looks like? Look at those first four Beatitudes. That's the character of the kingdom. And in Proverbs eleven seventeen, it says, the merciful man does himself good, but the cruel man does himself harm. Um, I cannot tell you how many times I have been cruel when I had the choice to be merciful. The source of mercy is always God is the source of mercy. Because God is merciful, you and I can be merciful. Because we are created in the image of God and God is merciful, we can be merciful. Um, and God gives mercy to those who are moving through the preceding beatitudes. You know what they are? Spiritual uh, bankruptcy, uh, being a spiritual beggar, mourning over sin, meekness, and hungering and thirsting for righteousness. And we must live the life of the kingdom before we can enjoy the benefits of the kingdom. See, I think far too often... We want the blessing without the belonging. God wants to give us the blessing of the kingdom. 
But sometimes we want the blessing without the belonging, and we want God to bless us when, in fact, we are not living in a manner that pleases God. And then there is the substance of mercy. How can you be merciful? Well, the first one is you can be merciful merciful physically. Uh, You can be merciful to a person in the physical sense. Uh, I love Augustine's, St. Augustine's statement when he says, "I, I have to interpret it for you just a little bit. He says, whoever loves another's name to blast, in other words, whoever wants to constantly ridicule somebody else, whoever loves another's name to blast, this table's not for him, so let him fast. And what he means by that is that if you are not merciful to other people, don't expect me to be merciful to you. If you are a person who uh, is constantly ridiculing other people, you don't have a place at my table. Um, St. Grace Sterling was a lady that none of you know uh, or have known. She is now home with the Lord some many years. Um, We had to pray for her protection. She brought more people into her home. She brought people into her home to eat, to stay, to watch television. She brought people into her home who had no place to go, who had no place to sleep, no place to eat. And we would pray for Sister Grace Sterling that she would, uh, she would be safe because we could never be sure with the kind of people. And she was kept safe. God kept her safe, I believe, in some of the most unique circumstances because she would have these people in her home. Because she was merciful and she showed this physically. I love it when I hear about our people going to people and taking them to a laundromat and washing and drying their clothes and feeding them and having conversation with them, which may sometimes turn into a gospel conversation. It, that is being merciful. But it's also spiritual. Let, let me say, mercy never holds a grudge. Mercy never retaliates. Mercy never takes vengeance. Mercy never flaunts someone else's weakness. It never makes something of somebody else's failure. And it never recites somebody else's sin. Mercy doesn't do that. And then there is the spiritual side. And I give you this statement. Often we weep for the body more than we weep for the departed soul. I think that happens to us. Listen, I've done a thousand funerals and, or, or memorial services. And sometimes I see people weeping over the loss of this body, but they don't care one bit about the fact that this person went straight to hell. And I think spiritually, we have to look past that, that physical aspect. 
We need to be people. Remember Stephen in Acts chapter 7, verse 60, while they were stoning him to death, he looked up to the heavens and said, Lord, don't hold this sin against them. Don't let their souls be affected by what they're doing here today. Because he looked past the physical. He looked past the body to the soul. That's what we ought to do in every area of life. Do you just take care of your children, clothe them, put shoes on them, and shove groceries down their neck? Or do you care that they have a soul and God wants a relationship with those kids? How about your grandkids? Do you just give them $100 on their birthday and forget about it? Or do you really care that their souls are at stake in our world. So it's spiritual as well. Let me give you the sequel briefly. The sequel is obtaining mercy. In other words, mercy begets mercy. Let me read it for you again. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. You show mercy, you get mercy. Sometimes you don't get it from people, you get it from God. And let me say, being merciful is not a way of salvation. I believe that a lot of our mainline Christianity and a lot of our cults in our current culture have created a system where you can get saved if you take care of people. You can get saved if you are merciful. You can get saved if you do the right things. You can get saved if you show mercy to people. And that, of course, is not what the Bible teaches. Mercy is not a way of salvation. You... Uh, a lot of you in this room have never heard of Will Rogers. Now, I know Don Snow has. Um, a lot of you have never heard of him, but he was born in 1879. He died in an airplane wreck in northern Alaska at Point Barrow in 1935. He died prematurely, actually. Um, by our standards, he was a relatively young man. Through the 20s and the 30s, he was a raving success. He, he, he was in 71 movies. He was in 50 uh, silent films. He was in uh, 21 talkies. And he did over 4,000 nationally syndicated columns for newspapers around the country. He was an amazing guy. He was a guy who could make you laugh at, at just by dropping his hat or by throwing a rope. Uh, he was an amazing fellow. And one day, he was entertaining at the Milton H. Berry Institute in Los Angeles. Now, let me tell you about the Berry Institute. The Berry Institute was... Uh, uh, a place for uh, their primary goal was to minister to
to polio patients because in those days there was a lot of polio. And um, in fact, we have a sister-in-law who has had polio and is now uh, in what they call uh, post-polio syndrome. And um, the other people that these, the institute dealt with was people who had severe conditions like broken backs and, and broken necks and, and uh, some serious deformity of some sort. And they would go to the Milton Berry Institute and they would take care of these people and minister to them. And so here's Will Rogers up on stage doing his thing and everybody's having a good time. Everybody is laughing. And he's laughing with them. And there comes time for a break and Will Rogers goes into the restroom and Milton Berry, believing that he might need to refresh himself, got a towel and headed in the bathroom with the towel. And when he opened the door to the bathroom, there was Will Rogers leaning with his head against the wall, crying like a baby, weeping like a child. Because of all these people that he looked out there and saw and the difficulties and the, and the problems that they had, see, that's mercy. Ten minutes later, he wipes his eyes and he's back up on the stage making them laugh again. And that's mercy. See, uh, if you want to know what a person is really like, ask him three questions. What makes him laugh? What makes him angry? And what makes him weep? And if he will be honest with you, you will get a lot of insight into his character. See, I hear people say today, we need an angry Christianity. We need to be more militant. And as I've watched the news in the last few days over the um, decision of the, of the uh, Supreme Court on Friday, I see a lot of angry people. But I have come to the conclusion that it's not anger we need. It's anguish we need. And the difference between anger and anguish is a broken heart. See, the Supreme Court has redefined marriage. I don't agree with it. I weep over it. And we all ought to. We must love the person and hate the sin. We must be merciful. I mentioned a while ago how many times I was angry rather than merciful. See, when you go into McDonald's and they give you the wrong order, you have the choice of being merciful. When you go to the post office and they sent your package to Afghanistan instead of Albany, you have the choice of being merciful. Merciful. 
See, when you go to the grocery store and they charge you twice for the same item, you have the choice of being merciful. And God says, blessed are the merciful. You know why? Because one of these days, you're going to make a mistake. And you will receive mercy. So as you prepare for the table, maybe it's mercy you need to talk to God about. Maybe, I don't know, maybe it's meekness. Maybe it's hungering, thirsting for righteousness. But this is a good opportunity for you to pause and examine your heart and talk to God about what he wants to do in your life. God doesn't want us to do this communion thing in a haphazard way. He wants us to examine our hearts, to take the word of God and apply it to ourselves in the process. He wants us to come with pure hearts and not take communion in an unworthy manner. This is very important to the Lord Jesus. As he instituted it, he saw it as being a significant process for every New Testament believer. So let's bow together. Bow your heads, close your eyes. Forget about the person next to you. And just begin to talk to God. And you might even have to, like me, sometimes you might even have to ask God to forgive you for being angry when you should have been merciful. Maybe you need to ask God to forgive you for abusing a salesperson or, or a postal worker or somebody instead of being merciful. Maybe you need to be hungering and thirsting for righteousness. Maybe there's something else that you want to say to God. God, forgive me. Clean my heart. Clean my soul. Before I take this bread and this cup to my lips. Father, thank you for your mercy toward us. Enable us to be merciful with those around us. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for your broken body and your shed blood. Thank you for the redemption it provides, and every time we do this, we remember 
that redemption that you've provided for us. Thank you, Father, for reaching out to us today in your mercy. We ask it in Jesus' sweet name. Amen.